and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, it's a new NBA season. That means we've got a new guest for the show. Today, we're going to be talking to Cole Huff. Cole Huff is a writer at The Athletic now. He's coming off of a terrific basketball career that, you know, just ended a little bit earlier than what we all wanted it to. Cole played at Nevada, then went to Creighton, played in the G League for a year. And I think that, God, Cole, how many of the players that we watch tonight have you played against at some point in your basketball life? Uh, well, definitely not many on the Lakers because I got some older players, but... <laughs> I did actually. I did. I did play with Malik Monk uh, for one season, kind of. If if you want to call it a season, when I was in the G League, yeah, uh, he was with the Hornets, and he would come up and down for a couple games at a time. So played with him. Uh, I I think I played against Juan Toscano Anderson when he was at Marquette. I, actually, I might have been redshirting at Creighton when he was there. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably caught him in the G League too. Probably did. Yeah, I think I may have. Caught Gary Payton in the G League as well when he was with the Lakers. Uh, I, I, you know, I've been around. I played against some guys. <laughs> so Cole's here. He's writing for the Athletic now. I wanted to get him on the podcast because just I love hearing the perspectives of former players, especially ones that are now breaking into the media. It's such a fun little thing to hear from just the perspective of someone who has been on the court at an exceedingly high level with, as we just discussed, some of the guys that actually played on the court tonight. So, Cole, how you doing, man? How are things? I'm doing great. Um, first of all, I appreciate you having me me on the pod. Um, you know, I've followed your writing for a while. I've, I've heard your name um, back when I was playing in college, even though I tried not to pay too much attention to the media. You know, I still I still found your stuff every here and there. Um, yeah, I'm doing great. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing great. Um, the NBA is back. Uh, it seems like it didn't really go away. I mean, the the finals weren't, weren't that long ago, and then the Olympics and summer league and everything. It just feels like you know we had like a weekend off. So, um, but I'm doing good. Basketball is back, and I'm I'm excited to uh, to talk some hoops with you. So before we started, Cole was telling me about what his kind of schedule had to look like when he was playing professionally and what you're probably what 28 now so you're still still pretty young yeah 27 there we go sorry i gave you an extra year yeah Yeah, i mean it was funny when i so i'm 31 and when uh before i had turned 30 people would be like yeah you're like 30 now and i'd be like no i want i want that extra year i am 29 (laughs) (laughs) just for just for your mental oh no of course you gotta have it so you kind of lived a very difficult schedule when you were overseas. You played in Spain for a year. You played in Turkey for a year, if I remember correctly, right? That's right. What was your schedule like when you were trying to keep up with the NBA? So, okay, so I'll, I'll rewind even a little bit farther. I thought it was, so I'm a West Coast kid my whole life. You know, I'm watching all the Lakers and Clippers games and stuff at 7, um, 7.30. I'm watching... LeBron, when he's in Cleveland, like when I'm back in high school, right when I get home from school at 4.30, I'm turning on the TV. So, like, kind of spoiled. Um, then I end up in the Midwest at Creighton. Okay, push things back a couple hours. Now, instead of watching games at 7.30, it's 9.30, almost 10 o'clock. 
Uh, you know, I got, got practice with Coach McDermott and the rest of the guys the next day. I'm tired. Um, then I go to the G League. I'm in the East Coast. Now that's another hour. Boom. 10 o'clock starts, 10.30 starts. Um, but luckily, the, the G League schedule, I'm assuming, you know, it mirrors the NBA in a way where practices aren't insane. You just go get up shots, kind of light. So I didn't really have too much problems with that. But, man, when I when I crossed those waters and I got to Spain and I got to <laughs> Turkey, <laughs> I remember opening night. Um, opening night, again, when, when the Lakers played the Clippers, uh, like Kawhi's, Kawhi's debut, um, I think I had to stay up to like four in the morning, something Yikes. like that. So watching him and, uh, yeah, I had to stay up till four in the morning. Um, there was another game. I think the Clippers were playing the Warriors the year before they got Kawhi and all those guys. And it was like the 31 point comeback. And I just completely missed it because I was, Oh asleep. my God. So yeah, <laughs> it gets weird. I mean, you can catch the things you want to catch. Uh, but you, you, Definitely going to suffer the consequences the next day. You had to like live that synergy life. Did the teams you had, did the teams you play for even have synergy? They did not. Yeah. No, that's tough. That's real but tough. I had some so, college coaches, I had some college coaches give me uh, the synergy <laughs> link. So I was good there. Got to get the passwords. That's Got the key. To. Oh, man. So we're going to talk about the Lakers Warriors first, and then we're going to talk about the Nets and the Bucks. We're going to transition from there to talking about rookie extensions and a few of the deals that got signed. Let's start, though, with just kind of an overarching feeling that I had watching these two games. It felt like to me, not only in terms of the results, which the Warriors beat the Lakers, the Bucks beat the Nets, but in terms of the flow of the game, in terms of what was happening on the court, it felt like to me the biggest thing to take away is that the two teams with continuity, the two teams that were returning the core of their respective units, they just looked a lot cleaner and a lot more polished out there. And the two teams that were kind of starting with a lot of new pieces that they had to integrate into their rotation – it just felt like they were a little bit disheveled and, you know, obviously we're going to talk about Russell Westbrook and the Lakers and how they're going to use him, but it, it just felt like there wasn't that level of continuity. You watch the ball movement from the Warriors. It was crisp. You watch the uh, system for the Bucks where they're just trying to, you know, have Giannis run the break and they're trying to create open threes. They felt like a well-oiled machine. Like everything to me just spoke to the level of continuity that the two winners had tonight and the level of uncertainty still that the two teams that lost tonight had yeah for sure and and before the game started that was kind of my feeling of, of how things would go just because you know so many new players on both sides um wouldn't have that immediate chemistry you know the bucks returned pretty much i mean without pj tucker i guess and divincenzo is still hurt um they, they pretty much returned all their guys uh so you kind of knew they would be a little a little bit more in sync with one another. Um, I didn't realize just how many new players that the that the Nets had. Um, you know, you figure KD is there, James Harden's there, Blake Griffin, uh, Joe Harris, Claxton. You go down the list, but then I'm watching the game, and you know, I knew Paul Millsap was there, but kind of caught me off guard. Javon Carter, you forget that he got traded. Uh, Cam Thomas comes in at the end of the game. James Johnson is there. It's just a bunch of a bunch of new guys, and you know, just kind of clicks at that point. Like, okay, this is going to be a work in, proze- work in progress. No Kyrie. Um, so that game went about as expected. Uh, 
I mean, I still, I still think that there's some positives that you can take away from that game. If you're Steve Nash, if you're the Nets, uh, Kevin Durant is still Kevin Durant. Um, James Harden looked to be in better shape. He looked healthier. He looked fine. Patty Mills, as advertised, still looks like he's over in Australia where you're at. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I mean, no, the veteran teams, especially, they're not going to panic after one game, but that kind of went, um, about as expected, in my opinion. Man, you brought up Cam Thomas. Can, can we talk about what was the funniest thing that happened all night to me? Cam, Cam Thomas comes on the court. First touch he gets is he didn't know what the set was and ran like a broken curl kind of thing into the middle of the lane where he caught the ball like 17 feet uh, away from the rim. It was like a bailout pass because he had screwed up and his man had like doubled down onto, I believe it was Javon Carter and Javon Carter has to just like kick it to him. Immediate shot goes up. Right. Uh, second one, 10 dribbles trying to cross someone up to get a jumper, <laughs> turns it over. Third one was where he got fouled by Thanasis and Tedekumpo. He goes up, makes two free throws. And then the fourth one was an immediate catch and shoot jumper. My man did not look to pass once. The brand is strong with what Cam Thomas is. He all, is all in less than four minutes of play. It, all in less than four minutes. It was glorious. It was like the most Cam Thomas experience that I like. It was everything I hoped for in my wildest dreams. <laughs> was was that funnier than Carmelo pump faking the free throw and forgetting that he pump faked for some reason? Dude, that was pretty good. <laughs> that was pretty good. That's a good way to transition into the Lakers and Warriors, man, because. Yeah, that was just a weird game. And I think that like where we should start is Carmelo looked good to an extent. I think that he got real excited early on by the couple of made jumpers he made, particularly he had that baseline, like mid post ISO kind of thing on Bielitsa where he got Bielitsa just in a box and then hit that like steps sidestep to the left jumper that Uh almost has become his brand throughout the course of his career. Uh, He was fine though. Like I think Carmelo Anthony is going to be a good rotational bench player for them. And I think that's all they're hoping for. I'm like a little bit worried about what they look like with Russell Westbrook. Mm -hmm. I I don't want to say that, like, I I just don't want to overreact to anything on opening night. We know that we know though, that it was going to take some time to integrate someone who is such a ball dominant player into a situation with LeBron James and into a situation with Anthony Davis, who also needs his touches. Obviously it felt like to me though, that, they didn't really have any idea how to do that well yet, though. Like, they're even farther behind with integrating him than what I thought they would be. What did you think? Yeah, and that's that's kind of just the Lakers thing. I mean, I think this is their fifth straight opening night loss, maybe their fourth, uh, yeah. one or the other. But, I mean, just every year they start off with a brand new team. You know, you got this year's squad. Last year you brought in... You know, Montrez Harrell, Wesley Matthews, Dennis Schroeder the year before, uh, Dwight Howard, Avery Bradley, kind of the, the same guys that they have now. Um, the year before that, you know, Lance Stevenson's on the team. Like they just have a new team every year. Um, so going, going into that opening game, they're never, they're never on sync. It takes them a little while to get going to find out which lineups work for them, uh, where people like the ball in certain areas, where they need to be when LeBron's on the court. So, I had no expectation that they were going to win this game. 
Um, the Warriors seem to always play them well anyways, yeah. regardless of if Clay is there or whoever's there. Um, it's just a, a weird matchup. It's a fun matchup. Um, Draymond Green plays good defense on Anthony Davis, although AD had it going tonight. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think the Lakers team is going to somewhat mirror that championship team in a way where, you know, they're going to be very, uh, reliant on getting out in transition, um, and, and playing that way because their half court offense kind of just boils down to LeBron making a play, Anthony Davis isolating and making a play, Carmelo's going to isolate. Westbrook's out there. He's going to do his thing. So um, it's going to take a while for them to figure it out, but I think their thing is going to be their length, their defense, and, and turning that into easy points. So I, I think that, like, that's the idea, right? Like, that's what – that's how they're going to be successful, for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think that the addition of Russ is really going to be a driver, particularly in transition. But also, like, we saw them tonight play a lineup with, like, Rajon Rondo and Russell Westbrook on the court together. And the Warriors just, like, weren't guarding those guys yeah. out on the perimeter. They were just like, you can do whatever you want in the half court. Like, we are happy to let you take those jumpers. We're just going to pack down the paint, and we are going to force you to make jumpers against us. Uh, I think that Russ is really going to help driving transition play for the Lakers. This was the, I think, slowest or second lowest, slowest team in the NBA last year, the Los Angeles Lakers. And they need someone, especially when LeBron is off the court, to be able to drive offense. And I think that that's where Russ is going to be most effective. I I don't know what they're really going to do in like late game half court settings yet. When, because the thing that they love to do, they love to go to that like LeBron AD, like, you know, three, five, four, five pick and roll where they have shooters everywhere. And hopefully you're kind of gearing out one side of the court so those two can operate. And then you force the help defenders to come. LeBron sprays the ball out or, you know, he kicks the ball to Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis makes mid range jumper. Anthony Davis is getting the ball at the rim. There's just like a lot of different sets that they can run out of a, you know, LeBron, Anthony Davis pick and roll that works. And I I just don't know what you do with Russ in that set, because any set with Russ is going to be less effective than a LeBron, Anthony Davis pick and roll. And that's not a shot at Russ. That's a statement that a LeBron, Anthony Davis pick and roll is probably the most effective thing that any team in the NBA can run. Right. Right. But what do you do with Russ off the ball is kind of what I'm trying to figure out. I, I don't know. I, I think that that's going to be the trickiest thing for them to figure out yeah. this year. And, and it's one thing if it's just Russ out there. I, you know, you could use him as, as a cutter, uh, camp him out in the corner and force the help. Um, yep. But if you got Russ out there, um, I mean, at the end of the game, they had Avery Bradley out there. I know he made two threes, but that's not really, you know, nobody's scared of Avery Bradley shooting uh, or camping out behind the line. Um, same thing for Kent Bazemore. Um he was two for eight tonight from three. Yeah. Those aren't, I mean, those guys can make shots. They're professional basketball players. You know, you give them enough attempts, they're going to go in eventually, but the defenses aren't going to overreact to that. So it'll, yeah, it'll, it'll be, it'll be on Frank Vogel to figure out which players complement that LeBron, Anthony Davis pick and roll. Like we didn't see, um, Carmelo out there towards the end of the game. Um, we saw Malik Monk a little bit. I think he would be a, a great option. Um, I don't know if they'll ever get down to Austin Reeves. He looked good in the preseason, but he's a rookie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, 
it'll just be a um you know it's an ongoing process with them um it's not gonna be solved uh anytime soon which is typical for for most teams you know they they take a little while to figure things out yeah, definitely. And like where I think they will be good is defensively. Like I know some people are a little bit worried about the perimeter defense, but I kind of think that if you gear back Russ a little bit offensively in terms of usage, he'll be able to kind of gear up a little bit defensively. Like he's just so athletic that you yeah. would think that he can make that work. And they have so much length as it is. Yeah. I mean, they're really bothering the Warriors and they're just throwing the up. A bunch of terrible passes, um, but it didn't, you know, the Lakers were, were long enough to get those deflections. And, you know, you got AD, Dwight, LeBron, uh, Baysmore and Russ out there to start the game. Like that's a lot of length. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know how great of a fit that is offensively as we saw or, or DeAndre Jordan, not Dwight Howard, but you know, that length, that's, I mean, I feel like they're, they, they want to muck up these games in a similar way that they did a few years ago. I think that they're really trying to recreate the championship team and, you know, we'll, we'll see if it works. Yeah. Like you, you mentioned how well Anthony Davis played on offense and I, I thought he was a monster on defense. Like you notice when the Warriors went on that big fourth quarter run to start, uh, to start that quarter and take the lead and never look back. I mean, that happened without Anthony Davis on the court. I think a big part of the reason why Stephen Curry had as many problems as he did last or did in this game, Anthony Davis is a monster defensively. He cleaned up so many mistakes on screen exchanges. He was awesome as a ball screen defender at playing that gap because he's so long and so mobile. I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like he was my pick for defensive player of the year last year. Uh, if in the preseason and he just got hurt, right? Like, I, mm-hmm feel like he is a real shot to be a defensive player of the year candidate again this year he is every year but like he looked great tonight and he looked like the reason why they are going to be successful defensively this year and i think that that's this is this is their key if we get the anthony davis we saw tonight and we get him for 65 games lakers are going to be fine regardless of what happens with the rest of their you know russell westbrook kent baysmore etc right Yep. Yeah. He's just got to stay healthy. We, we know who he is as a player. He's, you know, ever since he came to the league, he's been a really good defensive player. Um, like you said, the combination of his size, his length, his athleticism. Um, it looks like he is even a little bit stronger than he was before. He looked pretty big out there on the court, um, during this game. So the key is just staying healthy. And I know people like to give him a hard time about that. Um, you know, he can't stay on the, on the court. Charles Barkley calls him street clothes before the game, which is, I mean, it's, it's cool. It's Charles Barkley. But, I mean, it's not like he's intentionally doing this. I, I have a soft spot for players always get hurt, and you know why. Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of out of his control, you know. He just has to hope that his offseason preparation um, allows allows for him to play more games than last year. And like you said, his, his availability um, is going to be so important for this Lakers team just with how dynamic he is as a defender and then everything else that he brings on offense, especially when he has it going like he did uh, during this game against the Warriors. Yeah, God, Cole, I mean, like, how many knee surgeries did you end up having in your career? Oh, man, by the time I finished, I think I had the total was five, four or five. I can't remember. I had had two in high school before I even got to college. And... I definitely had two in college after uh, I got to Creighton. 
and then uh, I don't know. I, I lost track. I had a lot of them. So, I, I, like I said, I have a soft spot for guys that just get hurt. It's not they're not doing it on purpose. Tr- trust me, guys, they're not. Yeah, I mean, like that's that's why I asked the question. I mean, like how frustrating is that when you're going through that and trying to come back from something that is completely out of your control? Yeah, I mean, it's frustrating because. You know, you feel like you, especially if it's, it's happening a second and a third time, um, you kind of feel like, you know, you made the necessary changes, whether it was your diet, uh, a different form of rehab that you did, uh, took a little bit extra time to rehab from these things, but they keep happening. Um, it's, it's frustrating. Um, it's a lot more mental as well. Um, you know, you come back physically, you, you might be a little bit slower, mm. a little bit less athletic than you were before, but really it, a lot of it is in your head. You know, you're kind of questioning if you, you know, if you run too fast after this loose ball or if you do this and you cut a certain way, if it's going to give out. Uh, so those are just some of the, the battles, uh, that players have on the court with themselves. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's a lot, it takes a toll on you mentally after a while. So, um, I have a huge respect for all those guys, uh, that bounce back from these injuries and, you know, all the stuff that they have to deal with, with the social media, uh, era and, and all the, all the stuff that they get. I have a soft spot for them. Um, I wish, honestly, I, I wish everyone could just stay healthy because being injured sucks, man. It really does. So let's transition to the Warriors from there. And a guy who it looked like was dealing with a bit of an ankle injury tonight, Jordan Poole, will have to kind of keep track of that over the course of, you know, the next week, at least, let's say. But Jordan Poole's a guy that you wrote about in the preseason. Uh, that story just got filed today. I wrote about in the preseason as a breakout player. And lo and behold, Jordan Poole looks like a breakout player, right? Uh, how awesome does he look right now i mean the handle looks improved his confidence is unbelievable like it, it's just he, he looks like a different guy he looks like a totally different guy at this point yeah and I, I think that you know it helps that he's playing for steve kerr and you know i mean obviously to a, a much higher degree uh steph curry you know when he was coming on um you know you kind of just let guys be themselves you know Paul took some pretty crazy shots once he saw a few go in in that second half but you don't take that that guy's confidence from him and you know Steve Kerr just kind of let him roll with the punches and I think that's the beautiful thing that keeps the players confident confidence up you know the rest of the players on the court they they don't jump on him for stuff like that they allow him to be him um and quite honestly uh like what (laughs) what better options did they have tonight especially I mean Steph wasn't shooting well uh Bielitsa, you know, just playing through him, um, you know, him looking like a, a pseudo Nikola Jokic out there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty cool. But, but yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Jordan Poole. Like you said, I wrote about him in my piece today. Um, it's confidence, man. It's half the battle when you're out there. Everyone's good. You're there for a reason. Um, but if you, if you think that you're going to make the shot and you have the confidence to do so and you don't, run from certain situations, then you're going to be successful more times than not. And, you know, that's he has a huge opportunity with Clay Thompson now, and I think he's going to take advantage of it. Yeah, it's funny. I saw a Worldwide Wob tweet that his boldest prediction for the NBA season is that Steph and Clay are going to induct Jordan Poole as the third Splash Brother. I love that. <laughs> like, I think that that's real. Like, we're about to get... I, I think that's real, too. 
like I'm I'm in. You you mentioned uh six man of the year, you mentioned most improved player. Six man of the year is twenty two to one. I just wonder if he like maybe doesn't end up coming off the bench enough this year to be eligible for sixth man of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh most improved player fourteen to one. Like I, I love those numbers. I think that that is a real like opportunity to make some money and I'll probably end up placing some money on it. Although like what, what I've found is I might need to be careful. Like if I ever want to get an award vote for these things, I probably can't actually bet on the awards. So may, maybe, maybe the key is saying that I have not actually placed a bet on Jordan Poole to win most improved player. Please, yeah, NBA, you, give you me, a vote. me a DM. Send me a DM. <laughs> Shoot me a text. I won't tell anybody. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, his run to start the fourth quarter was so critical for them because it felt like they needed a bit of a jolt. And if you remember those Michigan runs in the NCAA tournament when he was there, especially as a freshman, that's what he did. He just kind of gives your team a jolt. And... Mm-hmm he's better than that now. Like he's reached the point where he is a genuine NBA starter, in my opinion, and he's not just the jolt guy anymore, but what they are going to be able to do is I think they're going to be able to sit Stephen Curry and Draymond green more often, knowing that they can have Jordan Poole out there and actually get like a little bit of efficient offense because last year they couldn't, afford to sit both of those guys at the same time without having zero chance to score at least a point per possession last year. Yeah. And I noticed that tonight too, or yeah, tonight, last night, whenever you guys hear hear this podcast, um, Steph was on the the bench for longer periods of time than I imagined. Um, I mean, obviously it helped that they went on that run to start the fourth quarter, you know, they didn't fall behind and, Kerr could uh, afford to to give Steph a little bit more rest, but yeah, like you said, that that's going to be super important because especially you know for however long, much longer Clay is going to be out, uh, you don't want to have to rely on Steph too much and put you know the extra wear and tear on his body. And you know we know he's he's had a history with his with his ankle and his foot. You know you just you just want to be careful. You want to be cautious, and you know kind of giving Jordan Poole the reins to be Steph Curry like um in those minutes that Steph isn't on the court that's I mean like I said confidence is half the thing that's huge for Poole's confidence and all it takes is a, is a few games for him to really believe that he can do it consistently uh so don't be surprised if he puts together uh, another couple of games um in this fourth quarter role while Steph sits that just kind of becomes the norm and that's what's expected and you know and, and, and one thing leads to another and you know maybe just instead of the fourth quarter happens uh, in the second quarter, it happens towards the end of the game a little bit. You know, those things have a snowball effect. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's certainly helpful for them. Um, if, if he weren't there to, you know, if he didn't get hot, I don't know how they would have generated points. Maybe Iguodala would have revived himself, uh, from his whatever the heck happened to him in, in Miami the last couple of years. It was good to see him back on the court competing with LeBron and, in a couple threes, and same for Bielitsa. I don't know what happened to him in Miami either. Um, don't worry, Heat fans. I'm, I'm not bashing you guys. Just making observations. Um, oh, yeah. he's terrible in Miami, and it just wasn't a fit. Like let's, we can call it what it was, right? Like yeah. it was. He's bad, and it seems like Golden State with the way that they move the ball and 
particularly with the way that they kind of get him the ball actually on the move. They don't just have him spot up. He's someone that can make rapid decisions on the fly when he is moving. Like he can pass right. when he is driving toward the rim. He has really good peripheral vision to be able to find open shooters. It's a really good fit. Whereas in Miami, I felt like when I watched him and where was he before Miami? Was it uh, like even in Sacramento? Like I felt like later in that era, he was kind of just a bystander that would spot up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, he's, he's got, he's got a lot more skill than to just be a spot up or a pick and pop shooter. You know, like you said, you can get him on the move. You can even post him up a little bit. You know, you get him a mismatch. He's always more times than not, he's going to make the right decision. He's not going to force anything. Um, just has that, that high IQ. Yeah, it's it's funny because, you know, over in Spain, which is how he ended up getting over to the NBA, he was the, I believe, ACB or EuroLeague Player of the Year. He might have won both, to be honest. Um, He was like the hub of an offense over there. And to me, like, I'm not saying that you want to run him as a hub, but you can run a lot of that, like, short roll stuff that you run for Draymond with Bielitsa, and he can make decisions with the ball. Like, that's a better fit for him. He has those little, like, he made that little goofy-ass flip shot when LeBron, like, tried to flop to get a foul call drawn. Like, that was nice. Uh-huh. Like, I enjoyed that a lot. Uh We've talked a lot about this game, though. Do you have any, like, closing thoughts here? Like, I think the Warriors are fine. I, I don't want to say I have concerns about the Lakers. It just feels like a new team. They literally closed with Avery Bradley, who they picked off of waivers off of the Warriors earlier this week. Like it's just who not worth it. Who hadn't played hadn't played the whole game up until those last few minutes. So Yeah. So like it's just, just not worth game. going nuts, right? Like it's just a weird game. Nah. No, no. We've seen this we've seen this story a lot of times with the Lakers in recent years with LeBron James teams, period. You know, these guys aren't aren't freaking out over one game into the season. So I'm not going to do it either. So let's go. Let's take a quick commercial break and then we will be back to talk about this Nets Bucks game. And I feel like I don't even know if I want to spend a lot of time on that because that was a, that was a <laughs> weird game as well. Okay, we're back. Let's go to this Nets Bucks game. The Bucks, I don't even know what the final score was. The Bucks like murdered them and pulled away and uh it felt like the Nets had a chance to maybe make a run early in the fourth quarter, but Steve Nash it was funny, like Steve Nash pulled the plug when they were down like fourteen with four minutes left. Like I was I was a little bit surprised about that. Yeah. But like you you see uh, Giannis out there, like still going as hard as possible when Javon Carter and Cam Thomas and all those guys are out on the court. Um, It was interesting though, to see just a, that difference in terms of mentality for what these early season games mean. I think Milwaukee certainly had a, uh, extra chip on their shoulder because Giannis, a Giannis is always going to play hard because that's, who he is as a human being, but B, I think they wanted to consolidate their title last year by beating the Nets and winning uh, on the night that they got their rings. They had real extra motivation in a way that Brooklyn probably didn't for this one. That's fine, but uh, did anything stand out to you beyond the Drew Holiday injury, which we'll talk about here momentarily? 
Uh, yeah, actually sticking with Drew Holiday. Um, I thought he looked really good, um, you know, to begin the game before he got hurt. Obviously, he had a lot more legs than what he was dealing with, having to chase around Chris Paul and Devin Booker um, during the finals. You know, it affected him on the offensive end. But he looked like he had some juice back. Uh, he was making his threes, which completely left him uh, when he, you know, was probably fatigued during the finals. And he... He looked good. I, I think, um, you know, hopefully this heel contusion, I think is what they called it. Hopefully that doesn't yeah. set them back uh, too long because I, I don't know how capable George Hill is of playing big minutes on the championship team at this point in his career. Um, so that would be one of my takeaways. I thought Grayson Howland, even though he wasn't making shots, I think he's going to be a nice fit uh, for this team during the season. He, you know, the way he shoots the ball, um, he has six assists. Super underrated part about his his game. Yeah, and, you know he's he's a good, he's a good defender as well. You know he's not incredibly strong or incredibly quick, but I think he's really smart. Um, he has great anticipation. I saw him cut off uh, uh, James Harden isolation and kind of poke it free from him. He's just a he's just a smart uh, a role player. I think he'll fit a, a similar role as like a Dante DiVincenzo. Because Grayson overlapped with you. Did you ever end up playing Grayson in college? No, I never played Houston. So I think he's actually like kind of sneaky strong. Like if you stand next to him, like he's mm. he's a little bit bigger than what you think. Like he's like he's not like a hundred strong base too. Ninety like, pounds. Lower body. Yeah. Like he's he can actually hold up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I mean, like he can't hold up against you know, Kevin Durant and James Harden, who are like, James Harden's one of the strongest guards in the NBA and Kevin Durant's seven foot tall, right? But like, right. I, I think that like against other guards, he's actually a little bit stronger than what he gets credit for through that lower half. You're 100% right there. And then the other guy that stood out off the bench for the Bucks was Jordan Wara. I mean, he had a great summer for the Nigerian national team. And he had a great preseason for Milwaukee. I think that what is always concerning about Wara is how attentive is he going to be on a possession by possession basis defensively. He was pretty good tonight. Like even beyond the 15 points, like it felt like he was available and ready and willing to rotate. He had that big weak side block on Kevin Durant in the third quarter uh, that it felt like kind of flipped momentum a little bit even to me like it was I, I was very impressed with Jordan Wara's game tonight in a way that uh, I wasn't sure with him coming out of Louisville like I was not sure that we would ever really be talking about him as a rotation player in the NBA yeah I liked what I saw from him uh, tonight as well um, definitely on the offensive end I know he had this, he had 15 points he took 13 shots 6 of 13 from the field um, but you know his his shot selection told me that he's not scared of the moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> he, took some, he took some step back threes. He took some shots that he probably shouldn't have. But I think that's fine when you have a rookie that's, you know, we, we talked about that with Jordan Poole, um, you know, with the shot selections and stuff and, you know, kind of letting them be him. But you rather have someone that's going to go out there and, you know, not be afraid to make mistakes um, rather than someone that is. And I think, I don't know what his minutes are going to look like when, you know, the Bucks have a few of their rotational guys back, like Bobby Portis, uh, whenever DiVincenzo comes back. Uh, I don't know how things are going to look for him, but I think this was a great start to se- season for him. Like like you said, I was a little bit surprised as well as um, the defensive effort he put in. And, 
you know, as long as you play hard and play with energy, um, you're going to be awarded some extra minutes and, you know, you can, you know, make a living off of that. And I think that, you know, early in the season, he's going to have every opportunity to do so. Yeah. I mean, war is interesting because early in his career at Louisville, I th- like, honestly, like I thought that the two of you actually had like more comparable games than where he is now. Like he was, I don't know how much you remember him, but he was like kind of heavy his first year at Louisville. Mm-hmm. Like he was a good, like it felt like 230 pounds and he was a spot shooter who could, you know, take advantage of a mismatch. Like I almost thought his best position was like as a small ball four, but he's improved so much in terms of his handle, particularly like he had a couple of moves tonight. Like he had the two crossovers into a, you know, left-handed pound dribble, uh, jump stop, like floater with right hand leaning toward the left side at the end of the third quarter that he made. And then he had like a couple of, he had like a three crossover move followed by a sidestep to his left pull up three that he missed. Uh, I believe that was like while Kevin Durant was guarding him. And I was like, yeah, you never used to be able to do that. Like this is, this is a different deal now uh, with Jordan Wara than what he was previously. So if he has that stuff, like I, I think that, the thing that he showed me tonight, he showed me more game than Shimmy Ojale showed me in four years with the Celtics, which Absolutely. is important for him as he's going forward and carving out a role in this rotation. Yeah, this is going to be a big, a big second year for him. Um, I, I didn't watch a whole lot of him during his rookie season, but, um, from what I remember, from what I did see, it definitely looks that he, you know, has stepped into, um, he stepped his, his confidence level up a lot. And, you know, some of the moves that he said he was making, like the step backs and the, the two dribble pull ups and stuff, you know, those are, those are workout moves. And when you do stuff like that, um, in the game, you know, you're, you're really, you're really confident. You're, you're not afraid of, you know, whatever the results may be. So I think that's going to be important for him to keeping those minutes and keeping the spot in the rotation going forward. So, so here's a good question. Like, is your, Kind trying to integrate some of those workout moves into competitive game scenarios. Like you're trying to string together, you know, two or three moves because you were a, a bigger guy. You know, you were somewhere, what, like six, seven, six foot eight, something like that. Yeah, in between there. Yeah. And you had a real perimeter game. Like when you're trying to integrate those moves into actual game situations, like how difficult is that? It just depends on your situation. Um, I think, you know, if, if you're on a team that's not as great, like the, the team that I was on at Creighton my senior year, um, before our point guard Maurice Watson got hurt, we were like a top 10 team and we were really good. Everyone knew their role. So I wasn't ever going to step outside the box just because, you know, I was feeling it that day and I, I felt like I wanted to, to do a little bit extra. You know, I wanted, Everyone knew their role and everyone needed to stay in that role for the team to succeed. But on other teams, when, you know, you're not as good or things are kind of going south, I think you are more likely to, to do so. And you kind of, you know, you're not afraid to, to get yelled at by the coach or get pulled or, you know, have your teammates get on you. Um, so I think it's, it's all about opportunity, all about the, the situation and, and what's going on, um, with that specific team and with that specific player. Um, so it's, it's, it's different for everybody, but then there's, you know, there's people, um, like a Russell Westbrook or like a whoever, a Jordan Poole or a Carmelo guys that are always going to be them no matter what. 
Um, those are the ones that are, you know, have usually been like that for their whole careers. And, you know, that's the only way that they know how to play. So just to, like I said, depends on the situation, depends on the player, but it takes, takes a lot of guts to, uh, to, to do those things that you've worked on a lot of confidence. In the case of Giannis and Tetacumpo, uh, I, I am blown away every time that like he comes back from the summer. He's like just stepping in to pull up jumpers now. And if he's going to do that, like, I think he's probably going to win MVP again. Like wh- where I completely agree. Where, where are we at on Giannis after that first game? I completely agree. Um, and, and what you said earlier is Giannis doesn't really know how to turn it off. You know what I mean? Like he's always going hundred miles per hour per hour. He plays extremely hard. And that's always going to get him a few more points and a few more rebounds uh, in, in the in the stat sheet, especially in the regular season when, when other guys are coasting a little bit. Um, but yeah, he he comes back every from every off season with a little bit more to his game. In the preseason it was crazy to me that he was <laughs> he was dribbling full court into threes. He's getting to the elbow, stepping back. He's shooting fadeaway, uh, post fadeaways like he. Man, I, I'm I'm happy to see that for him too. Um, you know, I, I kind of feel like now that he's got the monkey off his back, he's won the championship. It's like unlocked another level up. Okay, I don't care anymore. Like I'm the man. Uh, I'm not afraid to to go the line and and shoot free throws. I'm not afraid to miss threes. Like I am who I am. I'm confident in who I am. It's been good enough uh, to get this city a ring, which hadn't been done in 50 years and. You know, it was really cool to see him go to the free throw line today and make seven out of nine free throws. Yeah, um, I'm just I'm I'm happy for the guy. Um, you know, by all accounts, I don't I don't know him, but by all accounts, seems like an incredible human being. Um, and you root for those people even more. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk to anyone who is in Milwaukee, has been in Milwaukee. It, it's it's hilarious. Like it's so rare to never, literally, never hear a bad word. Uh, about someone who is on his level not to say that like all of the superstars in the nba are like shitheads or something like that like that's absolutely (laughs) not what i'm saying uh but it's the way that he conducts himself like he's just like a very kind person and all about the work and everything so yeah no that's that's absolutely uh someone who's like a culture setter for an organization uh in every single way shape and form kind of seems like that's the the dna of most of the players on milwaukee chris middleton um seems like he's the same way i know drew holiday is an incredible human being as well a really good guy um I'm sure George Hill is the same way. You, you can go down the list. Brooke Lopez, amazing guy. Um, yeah, it, it's, you know, and that, that stuff has an effect on, on the on-court production as well when the locker room is filled with, with good people and, you know, everyone has each other's best interests and you can, you know, you build that trust. People aren't going to get in trouble off the court or do anything silly. Like that makes a, that makes a team better. And I think that's why the Bucks have had so much success over the years. So just a couple of other stray thoughts before we move into some extension stuff here. Um, Kevin Durant was fine. Like I, I have no worries. I thought that Kevin Durant was actually my pick for MVP coming into the year. Uh, I think he's going to be awesome. Okay. I, I think that I might've been wrong after seeing Giannis, but <laughs> I, I was after that series against the Bucks last year, I was like, Kev, I was firmly on Kevin Durant is the best player on planet earth. I don't uh, know how you guard him. Yeah, I don't either. 
Um, have you, have you ever like gone to, cause you grew up in, did you grow up in LA or are you like from around Pasadena? So yeah, LA area. So did you ever go down to like UCLA whenever like some of the pros go down and play and like watch him up close, like in a gym like that? No. So I've never, I've never been to like the Rico Hines runs or anything like that. Um, but I've, I've been to, you know, like working out in the summertime over at Pepperdine. Yeah. Um, tons of, tons of NBA players come by, um, and, and get their offseason workouts. And I never saw Kevin Durant, uh, but I saw like the Jimmy Butler, Kyle Kuzma, yep. Blake Griffin, lo- lots of guys. And yeah, I, I can only imagine what Kevin Durant's workouts are like. It, it's, it's the balance that stands out most with him. Like it, it's not, it's the balance at the size that stands out most. Like it's, it's unlike anything you've ever seen. Uh, someone who is that big and like, frankly, like gangly, uh, just cause he's so long and shoots over the top of everyone. Like he can like, like be driving left, plant left foot, almost like not even land with his right foot and pull up for a perfectly balanced jumper. It, it's, it's unlike anything I've ever seen in person. He's he's a total freak show, uh, and it's, Kevin Durant. And it's, yeah, and I mean, you have guys with similar builds too. Like a, I mean, Bol Bol is a little bit taller. Um, yeah, just similar, you know, kind of slim build with that length, but it just looks completely different. Like Kevin Durant is a really special basketball player, and some of that is through the grace of God. But um, I've heard incredible workout stories about him and how he goes game speed and really, you know, perfects his craft. So that's, that's a one of a kind basketball player right there. Yeah. Like, like even like Anthony Davis, like you watch Anthony Davis tonight and the, like he still like kind of stumbles and falls over. Right. Like there are times where he doesn't look as like, he looks like a big man. He's a very coordinated big man who has some guard skills, but he still moves more like a big man. Like Kevin Durant is probably his height and has just as much length. And it, it he legitimately moves like a guard. He, he is yeah, Ke- Kevin Durant I, I, is a marvel to me. I, I don't understand him One of a kind. at all. Um, uh, a couple other stray thoughts on this Nets team. Uh, the Patty Mills signing just looks awesome. Uh, he's look, he's not going to go seven of seven from three most nights, but <laughs> he's just not? a confident shooter. Right. Like, yeah, Patty Mills. <laughs> I mean, it felt like in the Olympics, he was never going to miss a shot when he took one, but you know, he'll, 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 he'll be a useful piece for them. Uh, Nick Claxton, like James Harden is going to make Nick Claxton a lot of money. <laughs> it's where I'm at. Set, set the screen and roll and James Harden will find you. And Claxton wasn't even like finishing them with dunks. They're all kind of awkward finishes through contact and stuff tonight. But yeah, he's he's going to make a lot of money playing with, with Claxton. I'm surprised it didn't really work out with, uh, with DeAndre Jordan last year, but I guess he didn't really play that much. So Yeah, I, I'll say this about Claxton too, like, I love Nick Claxton. Like I've been a fan. I had him as a top twenty prospect when he was in the draft, I believe, twenty nineteen. Like I, I am, I'm a big fan of his. He he did some shit tonight that like kind of bugged me. Like he had the one play where he just like didn't get up and run in transition, and right. his man that like he should have been on is the trail man, 
ended up getting a wide open three pointer. Uh, he had just like a couple of things like that. Like he needs to like be His athletic. Yeah. He needs to be athletic energy guy. He can't, he can't take those possessions off. I don't think that's what's going to frustrate me about him if he continues that. Yeah. He's got to be, he's got to be JaVale McGee. I don't know. You can take that however you want to take it, but JaVale McGee, same, similar block shots, play above the rim, catch lobs and just play as hard as hell. You know, I don't think definitely not in his, his later years, maybe back when he was in Washington and whatnot, but you know, on, on all the teams he's been on in recent years, JaVel McGee is like the perfect, uh, Nick Claxton comp of just playing hard and, and doing your job and good things will happen as a result. Yeah. Like low usage, go up and get dunks, defend within the scheme, yeah. block shots. Compete. Yeah. 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 And the, the other thing, I know the other thing that bothered me with Claxton, uh, he had like perfect rebounding position the one time against Giannis and Giannis just like bumped him and his body like flew forward. Like he had gotten like hit by a Mack truck. Um, and look, Giannis is probably pretty similar to a Mack truck in terms of strength, but like he's got to be able to hold his position on the defensive glass and be able to rebound in situations like that. The Nets in general tonight, I thought really, really struggled, especially early on the defensive glass. So uh, we'll we'll see what that looks like. Do you have any other stray thoughts on this game, though, before we move? Uh, not really on the game. Just, uh, you know, got to wait and see what happens uh, with Kyrie Irving. He's, he's a huge part of the team. Um, but uh, encouraged by James Harden, by Kevin Durant. They look good. And I don't know. We'll, we'll see how these older role players uh step into their roles as the the season goes on but not a great start for like Millsap and James Johnson and, and all those guys Lamarcus Aldridge but we'll see you know it's game one of 82 man just never forget the Cam Thomas premiere uh <laughs> literally four touches two field goal attempts one two free throw attempts one turnover uh yeah, what a box office <laughs> what a what a player just unbelievable uh we'll take a quick commercial break again then we'll be back to talk about some rookie extensions Okay, so we're going to take like 15, 20 minutes and talk about these rookie extensions here. I think the one that stood out most was the extension that didn't happen with DeAndre Ayton and Phoenix. I wrote like 2,500 words on that at The Athletic. Uh, I don't even know that I want to dive wildly deep into it myself. Uh, but Cole, like I'll just give you the floor. Like what were you as surprised as I was that the Suns didn't extend DeAndre Ayton? Yeah, because common sense kind of tells you, okay, he was really good last year. He was great in the playoffs. Um, he's one of the three best players on the team, defensive anchor. Uh, well, I guess Mikel Bridges could also make that, make that case, but um, he's, I'll say this. He's more important defensively than Mikel Bridges. Yeah, especially when, you know, all you got after him was Dario Saric last year. Um, yeah, I was I was really surprised. It, it just felt like a no brainer to me, especially with some of the other deals that were getting done. Um, I kind of I, I tried to read up on on your article and John Hollinger's article breaking things down and 
maybe it was to avoid like some luxury tax stuff. I, I don't know. Am I right with that? It's hard to say with Phoenix. Like it, it just always is there. Uh, I, I think that really what it comes down to is, is they don't value him as a max player. Like I think that if you value a guy as a max player, you don't really fuck around with stuff like this. You just max him. Right. Like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, period, you don't do. Yeah. yeah you, you don't play the games. Like I, I, if I was Phoenix, I would have probably gone to Bill Duffy and Neiman Makian, who are DeAndre Ayton's representatives and said from, you know, the start of the off season, which I guess was August 1st was the first day that they could have done this. I, I would have just gone to them and said, look, this is the offer. We're going to offer him a five year max extension. We're going to do a team option on year five. That's that's what we want. That's going to be the offer now. It's going to be the offer at the end of the negotiation. You can take it now. You cannot take it now. Um, we love DeAndre, but we also like he's been great now and worth a max contract for five months. So take it or leave it. And that way you can at least say, hey, we offered DeAndre eight and a max. Uh, his representative chose not to take it. Uh, in that situation, it's a really advantageous max for the team because the TV money in this upcoming negotiation uh, for television and streaming rights for the NBA is going to come in in the year 2025-26 season. So you're going to get years four and five at a discount anyway. Uh, that's why when James Jones said that, oh, I was surprised that they weren't even willing to negotiate like a three-year max – I was like, wait, why would you want a three year max? That, that doesn't, that doesn't help you because then you have to pay him, uh, potentially $50 million a year if he continues to emerge as a max level player. So, so they uh, would have to renegotiate after those three years when the, the TV money comes in and stuff, right? Yeah. So I, okay. I'm, I'm thrown a little bit by Phoenix's decision making here, but maybe they end up proven right and he's not the guy that I think he is in terms of being a great center long-term. And I think the timing of it makes it look a little bit, seem a little bit worse as well. Just, you know, they're shelling out money to Mikel Bridges and then they just bring in Landry Shamit and give him the extension. So just, it, you know, and then he's he's been there the longest and he doesn't get the max. He doesn't get the money. It's just a little bit, confusing um and then those two signings or extensions made it look a little bit worse like here's the thing would you rather have Bryn forbes or landry shaman honestly i don't really know what the difference is that's what you rather have i think that's it like i think they're about the same in terms of value uh i don't really think that either of them can play all that effectively in the playoffs Bryn Forbes over the last two years is going to make like $7 million. Mm-hmm. And Landry Shamit, uh, in 2022, 23 and 23-24 is going to make $20 million. Like that, it just seems like to me, I would have rather used the money that you're spending on Landry Shamit, who might not actually be able to help you in the playoffs. And if you're a little bit less sold on DeAndre as a max player, just give him the money that you're going to give to Landry and then go out and sign Brent, literally go out and sign Bryn Forbes next off season when he's a free agent. Right. right? So I, uh, yeah, I'm a little yeah, bit. That one, that one confused me a little bit. His, his career has been so, so weird to me. I mean, it got off to 
incredible start his rookie year. I'm, I'm speaking about Landry Shamit. Um, his rookie year is really good in Philadelphia. Got traded, was really good um, in L.A. for the Clippers. He had like, I, I don't remember the exact stat, but something about his three-point makes or maybe his percentage ranked like up there with Steph Curry for rookies all time. And then yeah. he just keeps he keeps getting traded. He keeps bouncing around from team to team and he hasn't looked as good as his rookie year. It's just been a it's been a, a weird three year career is it three years? Three or four year career. Three years now, yeah. Yeah. Three years. He's been on so many teams it's hard to to know what year he's in. But it's been weird. I mean hopefully he looked good in the preseason though. I will yeah. say that. Um hopefully he can get back on track. Um he's got the money. Maybe that does something for him. Uh, mentally, and he's able to play a little bit better. But I hope it works out for him. But as of now, I don't know what the, what the difference is between him and Bryn Forms. I I agree with you. Uh, Jaron Jackson gets a four year, one hundred and five million dollar extension. I think that that's just like kind of a perfect deal. It was a really creative structure from Memphis where they have decided to go with a descending structure where Jaron Jackson will be paid more upfront and less as the contract uh, moves forward into the future. I saw a couple people speculate, including John Hollinger, uh, who I love and adore. Obviously, he's been on this podcast many times say that they wouldn't have structured the contract this way because it makes it harder for the Grizzlies to then extend him off of this deal because the max that they'd be able to extend him off of the final year there would be basically like 28 million in the first season. And if he continues to stay healthy, he's probably going to be a max player. I disagree with that. I think that given that the fourth year will be at the start of the expansion of uh, the salary cap and television money, you can have a much easier time renegotiating and extending his contract long term. All of that is like cap minutia stuff. What do you think of Jaron Jackson, the player, though, Cole? Yeah, and then just real quick to add on to that, I think I read John Hollinger's piece as well, where that would give like the Grizzlies a little bit more flexibility when it comes to some extensions for like Dylan Brooks and, and yeah. younger guys. Okay. So yeah, definitely. I, I can, okay, that makes more sense. Um, I think Jaron Jackson's really good. Um, we haven't seen a whole lot of him so far. Um, you know, especially last year, I think he only played in ten or eleven games, something like that. Um, so that's that's kind of the risk you run with him. But from what I've I've read and what I understand, those injury clauses and uh, things like that are in his contract, and that kind of affects what type of money he ultimately gets. Um, but I think he's, I think he's a hell of a player. Um, I think one area he can get better in is rebounding. He doesn't get a bunch of rebounds, but he's a great defender. Uh, he has a great motor on, on both sides of the ball. He, you know, he gets after on defense, he blocks shots. And then, um, you know, he's, he's a, he's a pretty good shooter from three. And I think that he's a, he's a great compliment to John Morant. And I think, you know, locking him up for, for those years. Um, and, and having him and, and Ja kind of grow together, that's going to be great for, for for Memphis. Hopefully, he can just stay healthy. Yeah, and that that's been their goal this whole time. Like they they really feel strongly about building from within and building a core that people just want to be a part of, right? Like it's not even necessarily that. Uh, like, look, they want to build the best team possible, but they also want to build a situation that has a lot of guys that are about hard work and are about like enjoying being around one another. 
And I really respect that. And I think that just handling this now in the way that they did is really smart. Uh, I like getting the injury protection. I think that's also really good. Uh, yeah, this, this deal makes sense to me, uh, for everyone involved. Also, we've got the McHale Bridges signing four years, $90 million. I also wrote about that one. I think it's a home run for Phoenix. Uh, one of the best, he's really, like, he's really good. Yeah. One of the best off ball players in college basketball. You definitely played against McHale when you were a Creighton, I played, right? I played against him a lot. Yeah. We had some battles, not me and them personally, but, uh, us and Villanova. For as good as we were, we never beat Villanova while I was there, which is a shame. So I kind of have a little, <laughs> I'm a little salty about that. Go but ahead. Yeah, just, played, just say, I, I, just fuck Mikhail Bridges. Like it's fine. Like it's good. <laughs> no, no. He, he, he seems like a good dude. Honestly, all those guys that, that come from Villanova, um, they're, they're so good. They're so, um, locked in on their game plans. Uh, extremely skilled they can pass they all defend high iq can pass um no no extras no nonsense with them on the court or off the court they're just all like finely tuned players and you know i really respect that about them that you know the the mikhail bridges that you see now he in my opinion was a similar player um that he was in in college he he shoots a little bit better but just Playing his role, not doing too much. Um, one of the best defenders in the league um, uses his length, his athleticism uh, to contest shots, to bother the dribble off ball. He gets in passing lanes and, and makes a living there. Um, has turned himself into an incredible three point shooter. I think he shot forty two percent. I want to say over forty yep. percent from three. Yep. Um, he has a, he has a little bit to his game off the dribble if you close hard on him. Uh, and get to the free throw line. I'm I'm a huge fan, and that took a lot for me to say, just because <laughs> I used to play against them all the time in college, and we can never beat them. Him and Josh Hart and DiVincenzo and Jalen Brunson, Pascal, they had a loaded team, man. But yeah, he's he's really good. Like you said, I think this is a home run signing. Um, and yeah, he's he's the perfect fit for this Phoenix team to to fit alongside uh, Chris Paul and Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. So. I think they hit it out the park with this. And then finally, Kevin Herter, uh, I would imagine. That you, did you ever get a chance to play against Herter? Never got a chance to play against him. He he went to Maryland. Um, yeah. Yeah, so we we never we never got that matchup. I played with one of his teammates on the G League. But, yeah, I, I think that's a that's a good signing as well. Not, I mean, $16 million a year on average, I think, is what it is. That sounds yep. about right. Um, you know, he's still really young. We saw how good he was last year and how he stepped up in the playoffs and was one of their more trustworthy players. I'm interested to see uh, what exactly his role is. They kind of have a bunch of wings. I think as of now, he's probably the sixth man. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll just see how they, they figure out how to, to distribute those minutes to all the wings. But over time, some of those guys are going to be gone. Um you know, Gallinari's not going to be there. Lou Williams is not going to be there. I know they're not wings, but that'll open up minutes. And I think that he has enough positional versatility down the line on both on both ends of the of the court uh, to slide into to different spots and be used anywhere. So I think I think another home run signing. Um, I don't see anything wrong with the structure of it. Um, yeah, you, what do you think about the deal? So I, I thought that. 
It's a deal that Herder probably had to sign because he is going to be coming off the bench this year. And it's just weird timing for him, for his contract to be ending while they're competing. It's it's like great timing because they're competing, but it might not be the best timing for him to show out in the way that I, I frankly like think he's capable of. Uh, really underrated, smart defender. We saw that in the playoffs. Yeah. Like he's bigger than what people think. Like he's six foot seven and he has good enough feet to be able to stick with twos in like even some ones. Like he can stick with a few smaller players. Uh, not as good guarding up the lineup because he's not quite as long and as strong as, uh, someone that is like a six foot seven wing typically is, but he's a legit, really good off ball defender as well. And isn't a negative on defense while also being able to shoot 40% from three and makes decisions at a high level as a passer. I think that like he's a, he's a definite long-term starter in the NBA. And I think this deal in two years is going to look like, Team oh, friendly. like, yeah, like, wait, what was he doing signing that deal? When in reality, like he didn't really have an option right now because just what his role is going to be. So I, yeah, I love this deal for Atlanta. I, I think that this is, this is an absolute home run for them. You couldn't, you couldn't have said it better. I think that's dead right. Yeah. They're going to get a, uh, they're going to get Kavon Herder, right? Kavon. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> love it so much. Um, be surprised how much crazy stuff goes on in those locker rooms. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, We'll get into that at a different date. We'll talk about uh, locker room dynamics, maybe I've got stories with with someone like Kevin Herter playing in Atlanta. Uh, okay, the last thing I want to talk about: Marvin Bagley, a player that did not get an extension. Uh, it came out through his representation that he is not going to be in the rotation for the Sacramento Kings early in the season here, <laughs> and. Excel and Jeff Schwartz decided to take that public before uh, the Kings did uh, in their opening game. Jeff Schwartz said, Sacramento has informed Marvin Bagley he is not in the opening night rotation, which is completely baffling. It's clear they have no plans for him in the future and yet pass on potential deals at last year's deadline and this summer based on value. Instead, they chose to bring him back but not play him, a move completely contradictory to their value argument. This is a case study in mismanagement by the King's organization. Uh, for people who like don't know, like, Jeff Schwartz like doesn't do this shit. Like this is this is not an agent. Like Rich Paul is very loud and he's out there and he's sitting courtside with Adele at the Lakers Warriors <laughs> game and more power to him, right? Like if you have the opportunity to live that life, live your best life. But Jeff Schwartz doesn't do that. Like Jeff Schwartz is a behind the scenes dude. The number of texts I got just like laughing at this and going like, "Whoa, like we can't believe Jeff Schwartz did this." From people like other agents, people within the NBA on the team side, I probably got like eight or nine on my phone. Just like, what is happening right now? Uh, where are you at on Marvin Bagley at this point, Cole? Like, fascinating situation, obviously. I, I think I understand it from both sides, but it's a complicated one, it feels like. 
Yeah, he's he just it just feels like his whole tenure um, in Sacramento is just he's been in a tough position. I mean, obviously he's he's dealt with a lot of injuries, so some of that has been because of that. But I don't know. I I, I don't want to speak bad about the organization that I don't know too much about. But I mean, you see similar things with, with what's going on with Buddy Hield. You know, it's like these young players that are pretty good, and in Buddy cases. In Buddy Hill's case, I think he's really good. One of one of the best shooters in the league. Just so much uncertainty about roles. Um, you know, they're floating around in trades all the time. It's that's pretty unsettling as a player. Um, you know, I mean, like, but Buddy Hill got traded this summer. If you don't remember, like, he got traded on draft day, and then or it got yeah, like I mean, reported that he got traded, and then they I mean, went and just traded. Show for- back up to Sacramento and act like it <laughs> yeah. never happened. You know, just uh, it's weird, and and you know. Clearly, way more about the 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 agent than I do. Um, but I guess you don't you don't poke the bear. Every every man has his limit of how much he's going to take. He's fed up. He wants his client. He wants better for his client. And you know, I respect him for that. I mean, I, I have no problems with what he did. Um, it's funnier now hearing it from you and hearing the reactions that you got from it. Yeah, uh, that, that just makes the whole situation funnier since he's not that kind of guy. But yeah, I hope, hope he gets figured out. I mean, he hasn't had a great start to his career, but I would, off the top of my head, I'll say he's probably still like 22, 23, something like that. He's still a young guy. Yeah, about that. Um, yeah, tons of talent. Um, don't really know what position uh, he's best at on the court to kind of throw some weird lineups out there with Rashawn Holmes and I don't know. But I hope it works out for him. Uh, incredible talent. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll leave it at that. So, so with he might have actually been like too young. Like you guys almost didn't overlap, right? No, yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to overlap with him. Yeah. So with Bagley, I, I think that I think that where I sit on this is like there there have been no winners in the Marvin Bagley era in Sacramento, right? Like. Right. The team drafted Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic. And at the time, Vladi Divots was like, yeah, we think he can play some small forward. And I mean, what the fuck are you doing, Vladi? No, that was very clear that he was not a small forward. Yeah, like that was just never going to happen. And they take him over Luka Doncic and it doesn't result in the franchise turnaround that the organization hopes for. So... You know, despite the fact that he theoretically should be a really good fit with De'Aaron Fox and should have been able to make that work, he hasn't really even proven that he can be like a rotation player. Like he 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 is so bad on defense. He got better. Like last year was the first year where I was like, okay, he at least like doesn't get totally lost in the gap when they're playing ball screen defense and he has to guard both the big man and the ball handler. Like he used to consistently just get stuck in no man's land. Like it was his job and he still does it occasionally, but like it, it, it's gotten a little bit better, but then he'll have these moments where he just like completely turns out like in terms of awareness and backside awareness because he's playing the four and he maybe shouldn't be playing the four. Like he's probably more of a big man. Um, so, like, the team is lost. And then on top of it, like, last year, his dad demands a trade uh, over Twitter. I, I, 
So the, the team does not. Lots win going here. on. Lots going the, on. Yeah. The, the player, it's been a tough situation. Like, I don't want to absolve the Kings, although I do blame Bagley more for this. Um, I, I don't want to absolve the Kings. Like, they should have moved him by now, I think. And they, they've known that this wasn't going to work, I feel like, for a while. Um, it is true that his contract does hold value for them. Like if they want to go and acquire Ben Simmons, he is on an expiring deal. They can move him and Buddy Heald and that's your salary match for a Ben Simmons trade, right? So I don't want to act like he doesn't have value to them in a potential future planning situation. But like, come on, like, but does he have value to other teams? I don't think he has value. I think his contract has value. I don't think he has all that much value right right now. Um, And look, like it was a tough situation. Like the general manager who drafted him and declared him a small forward uh, at one point uh, because they believed in his perimeter talent. Like he's gone now. He decided to step down and the coach that was his rookie year coach got fired and Dave Yeager and they bring in Luke Walton who like, I feel good betting against Luke Walton when I bet against the Kings. Right. <laughs> like, I don't think he's very good. Uh, I don't think he has any idea what he's doing in terms of rotations. And that's been going back to when he was the coach of the Lakers and was bringing Julius Randall off the bench. Right. So I don't want to absolve the Kings of this because I think the Kings have made it a little bit harder. He's also gotten hurt a lot right but it's it's like i understand why the agency is frustrated because look like oklahoma city is sitting there with like a 12 million dollar trade exception like oklahoma city should take a flyer on marvin bagley in my opinion like this is a perfect situation go put him in a zero stake situation away from uh the kings where he can just go and develop he can play next to shea gilgis alexander Oklahoma City give up like a second round pick or something like that or a couple second round picks and go from there. Like that that to me is like the best solution for how this ends. But maybe the Kings think that they can still be in the mix for a Ben Simmons deal and can't make that move until they know what's going to happen with Ben. Like the whole the whole thing's fucked up. Like I, I don't know what to say beyond that. Like the whole thing's fucked up. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the the situation that you just mentioned about him getting to being traded to like one of these teams where he could go in and play a lot of minutes. I mean, ideally, that would be Sacramento where he's already at, like a team that's not very good, that doesn't have a whole lot going on at his position. But, but the problem is that they think they're good. like the Kings think that they're good and they want to make the playoffs. So they aren't going to play them. So like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) He, he, for, like you said, nobody's winning in this situation. Neither side is winning. And I think that they could both win if they moved on, you know, they get some, the the Kings will get something in return, whether that's um, draft draft picks or another piece to, to throw into the mix. And then Bagley gets to a team where even if he's not even that great and, you know, in whatever situation he ends up in, but I'm sure it just mentally it would be a breath of, you know, a breath of fresh air to get out of Sacramento and onto, um, a different organization, different coach around different players where you can kind of just start over. And, and like, this is unfair to Bagley. Like this, this is something that like he shouldn't have to deal with, but I'm sure he does on some level. Like I think the fans are just like kind of done with him. 
at this point mm-hmm. because they drafted Luka Doncic or they drafted him over Luka Doncic. That that's not something that was Marvin Bagley's choice. That's that's not Marvin Bagley's fault. <laughs> right. But unfortunately he gets blamed for it. And like he struggles to play defense. And I think fans are sick of just watching him try to play defense and consistently and be in the wrong place. Healthy, so he's also never healthy. Like, and like we talked about earlier, that's something that we shouldn't blame him for. Like we can probably blame the defensive awareness and like attention to detail on him on some level, but mm-hmm. like we can't blame the injuries and we can't blame him going number two on Marvin Bagley, but like Kings fans are rightfully frustrated with the situation. Like if I was a fan, I'd be pissed. You know what I mean? Like I'd be annoyed with how the whole thing has gone down. I don't think that those feelings are unfair. It's just like the whole situation sucks and it's probably time for it to end at this point for everyone's sake. I agree. Uh, okay. Cole, we end this podcast asking everyone, what is the best movie that you've seen? recently or at least just talking about movies we can have we can have long conversations about movies on this show because i watch too many of them oh boy you put me on the spot um i'm not a movie watcher i'm i'm a big i'm big into to tv shows I okay that works like i probably watched like two or three movies since quarantine started i just don't watch them oh my god really yeah i'm, I'm yeah i don't have the patience to sit there for two hours uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I'm big on shows. Um, let's see, what am I watching now? Um, I finished. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm all caught up caught up on Snowfall. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I am. I've um, never watched it. Is it good? It's really good. Yeah, I'm I'm caught up on that. Um, believe it or not, my my wife and I we have tried to watch. Game of Thrones dating back to like college and we've always watched like two or three episodes at a time and then not watched it for like three months. So yeah. we're somewhere in like the, the fourth season with that. <laughs> Probably will never finish that. Um, but I, I would definitely say Snowfall is up there. Um, just because I'm on the spot and I'm panicking a little bit. I haven't seen this show recently, but I'll just let you know my favorite show of all time is Breaking Bad. Okay. Maybe, maybe that'll win me over with some fans. What, what, what's your favorite movie that you've seen recently? Cole. So, so here's the thing. I, I keep track of all the movies I've seen this year on Letterboxd, which is a great app. Uh, I've seen 181 movies this year. Um, Whoa. I've seen this I calendar think, year. Yeah. And I've seen, I think like 120 2021 releases. Like movies that came out this year. Um, okay. Yeah, it, it's laughable. Um, I finally watched No Sudden Move, which is Steven Soderbergh's new movie. It has like Don Cheadle and Benicio del Toro. Um, it's like this crime movie. I thought it was really good. Was, I wa- like I watched seven movies this weekend because <laughs> wow. I was like, I, look, it was the weekend before the NBA. I wanted to decompress. Like, okay. Yeah, just getting, it was time. getting yourself, getting getting your last little bit of fun in before the grind starts. That's right. And the problem is, I watched Halloween Kills, and that was not very good, unfortunately. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll throw. I have one movie I remember off the top of my head that I saw semi recently. Probably the last movie I saw. Um, I saw Space Jam. Uh, the new Space Jam. The new Space Jam. I think that's the last movie I watched. So 
There you go. That, well, there, there's that, one I haven't seen I've, yet. I've seen. Okay. I, that's it's one because yeah, I'm like going to it with expectations. <laughs> it's gonna be the same, like the Space Jam movie you saw when you were a kid. No, it's not gonna bring back any of those type of memories. It's you know, it's oh, for no. the kids. So, but you know, if you're if you're into some cringeworthy LeBron dad jokes and acting and stuff, then it might be for you. You know, I, I think that that's why I've been worried about watching it. Like I, I've had it like queued up on HBO Max a couple times, and I just keep going to other shit. And I think that I haven't watched it because I've just been worried. Like I've been, like I loved Space Jam when I was a kid, and it's like I don't, I don't know, I don't, want, I don't want that. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't want that hate in my life. <laughs> Cole, tell the people where they can find you online. Tell the people where they can find your work, all that stuff. All right. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Cole Hoops. That's my first name, C-O-L-E, Hoops, H-O-O-P-S. Um, also, on Instagram, you can find me there as well, even though I'm not on it much. Um, you can read my work at The Athletic. Um, you can read my if – you're, if you're into the Clippers, I do freelance work for 213 Hoops, which is a local website that covers the Clippers. Um, I just finished up at – Franchise Sports Media. I finished the, the WNBA season. Local website out here where I covered the Las Vegas Aces. That was pretty fun. And then I'm going to be writing um, for Bet for the Win, Bet FTW. I'm getting started there this week. Um, you can find similar betting content um, that you might find on, on The Athletic and some articles. If you like that, you can follow me there as well. So uh, I think that's... That's probably as as good as I've done on plugging myself and all my stuff. It's usually a disaster. I that think was, I did that was, well with it. That was perfect. You nailed it. You nailed it all. Uh, so over at the Athletic, you should read Cole's preview of. Uh, you did a bunch of awards previews. You did just a few thoughts randomly. Uh, a lot of it is geared toward betting, which. I mean, fuck, like this is, this is how I live, right? Like I love it. We've done so many gambling podcasts. That's how we, that's how we all live now. <laughs> I've that's done so, so many gambling podcasts on this show, previewing gambling season for the NBA. It will continue once college basketball season starts. You can believe that. Um, I might go read, on a, hop onto a pod. I'm, you're welcome back soon. Trust me. Um, so. I've also written a mock draft. I've done the top, I guess the top 59 players this year because Milwaukee has lost their pick and forfeited it. But you can go read that at The Athletic. You can go read my thoughts on the Mikhail Bridges extension. You can go read, um, I wrote about seven breakout guys that I'm really excited about. And uh, I obviously wrote about the DeAndre Ayton thing that I referenced earlier. So go to The Athletic, keep me employed, keep Cole employed. Like, please subscribe yes. over there. Until next time though, I'll be back later this week with some more NBA thoughts, but we'll talk soon. Bye.